The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and SART. These podcasts are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. Welcome to SART Fertility Experts, a podcast that brings you discussions on important topics for people trying to build a family. Our experts are members of SART, the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technology, an organization dedicated to ensuring you receive quality fertility care. Well, Dr. Leonaris, I, I want to sincerely thank you for joining us today. Dr. Leonaris is, is the founder and director of um, the reproductive endocrinology practice, a, a very big and successful practice in Connecticut known as RMA Connecticut. He's also founder and director of Gay Parents to Be, um, which which he founded and is a, and and is leading. He's board certified in both obstetrics and gynecology, reproductive endocrinology, and perhaps most importantly, and and I think we're really lucky to have him as chair of the ASRM LGBTQ Special Interest Group. You know, not not a minor distinction. He's also currently a member of of the Resolve Physician Council, and we all appreciate Resolve for their support of all kinds of infertility patients, um, uh, in addition to uh, LGBTQ um, patients and parents-to-be. So, Mark, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. Grove, for having me, and uh, um, thank you for everybody who's listening out there. You know, I see in my office, and, and I know you see many more than I do, you know, wonderful um, members of the LGBT community who would make loving and compassionate parents, would be really great parents, and they're looking for some guidance, perhaps even from this podcast, on what their next steps may be on this journey for them. And and I'm hoping to, to fill in some of those, you know, some of those gaps for them. I wonder, Dr. Leonidas, if you could start and tell us how you got so interested in this area. Sure, happy to. I mean, uh, for myself as a member of the LGBTQ community, as well as a reproductive endocrinologist, uh, back in 2007, um, uh, I wanted to have children. And uh, um, here I am, have been helping people have their babies for 15 years at that point in time and uh, realized how complicated it was for a same-sex male couple, um, cisgender male couple, to go ahead and find a surrogacy agency, find a donor, work with an IVF laboratory, decide whose sperm you're going to use, whose embryo you're going to transfer, whether you're going to transfer one or two, and become the patient. You know, after we went through our own fertility journey, I prefer really the term roller coaster. Um, I thought there needed to be more for um, people in the community. And remember back in 2009, you know, gay marriage wasn't legal. There was still a lot of open discrimination. It wasn't legal in as many states as it is now. And uh, it was sometimes hard to even get a birth certificate. You know, the good news is through the efforts of many people, you know, a lot of those things have changed. But uh, um, you know, I'm personally passionate about helping people who really want to be parents. I think it's important to remember that 
50% of pregnancies are unplanned. But in the LGBTQ community, 100% of pregnancies are planned because there's not really a lot of accidents, right? Um, even in the even in a trans couple where they are, um, uh, you know, they have the ability to um, come, you know, uh, maybe a, a trans woman with a trans man, um, they could potentially reproduce, but they often need help. They need advice. Um, so that being said, there's no accidental pregnancies. And I feel like as a member of the community, we need to work with Resolve work with the insurance companies to bring to light another kind of infertility, you know, biological infertility. Um, we talk about infertility as defined um, as a disease process where two opposite sex partners, you know, cannot conceive within a year or within six months, depending on age. Um, but for people who, you know, didn't ask to be um, LGBTQ, they are, you know, they can't conceive as well. They have biological infertility, and and that needs to be acknowledged. And uh, um, and the great news is in in 2020, there's you know um, a couple hundred companies that I'm aware of now, really large ones, that actually offer benefits for LGBTQ employees. And you know the next hurdle really is to work with the state mandates, the states that have a mandate um, to offer benefits. You know, when we were emailing back and forth a little bit preparing for this, something that you said really struck me in response to a pretty basic question that I phrased, and, and, and I'm going to ask it to you now. What are most of your patients looking for? As an LGBTQ person, when you walk into a doctor's office, sadly, you're expecting not to be accepted. You're actually looking for subtle clues to show that it's okay. And those clues give you a sense of safety to actually be your true self. So they're looking for, you know, a well-trained staff that's um, able to acknowledge that, that they have a same-sex partner. They're looking for people who are not, uh, who um, can help process their insurance issues and their understanding that, that they probably don't have any benefits. When they look at when when they look at somebody's website, they want to see that there's um, you know not only a rainbow flag but maybe you know pages of content on how to build a family as a member of the LGBTQ community. I think really importantly, they want to be acknowledged as a human, as and they want to feel safe, and they want uh, um, you know empathy to their their different struggle of infertility. Um, you know, infertility patients. Um, cisgender infertility patients, you know, there's a lot of grief in trying to get pregnant and, uh, um, and it's very much acknowledged and it's really, really tough for them. Um, for an LGBTQ person, we can't even get started and we need your help and we want to know that that hand is out there for us. You know, that's really helpful. And, and I, I, I want to thank you for, for saying that so clearly. You know, clearly there's much that we can do in our own offices, which is perhaps beyond the scope of this, this session. But infertility patients in general have tremendous anxiety about attempting pregnancy. And it's just magnified and accentuated 
for the LGBT community. So thank you for sharing that. And you know, and for the practitioners listening to this, I think it's a real lesson, um, which hopefully most of us have learned and know. So thank you. We hope you're finding this episode of SART Fertility Experts helpful. Remember, for more information on this and related topics, visit www.sart.org and click on the tab labeled Patients. And now, back to SART Fertility Experts. You know, let's get started here. What's the most common scenario you see coming into your practice in terms of couples seeking help? So, you know, it depends on the the couple, right? So for a, a cisgender female couple, and just to explain that phrase, that means two people that were born with, you know, ovaries and a uterus. Um, they've often done a lot of internet homework and they perhaps have um, friends that are um, lesbian or, or queer that have had children, but uh, um, they are um, armed with a lot of information, sometimes misinformation, and they, they want to know um, where to start. And they these uh, appointments, when you have uh, um, two cisgender women um, arriving for appointment, can be complicated because who's eggs are we going to use? Whose uterus are we going to use? Um, do we want to keep it real simple and try just timed insemination? Um, or do we want to think about what we call, you know, shared um, in vitro fertilization, where we use one person egg, one person, one woman's egg, um, one, one, let's say it differently, one person's eggs and another person's uterus, right? So for cisgender female couples, there's actually a, a lot of options and to figure out how they want to build their family and how their future family um, wants to, they, they want it to look is important. The other thing is we, as a practitioner, you also have to go back to the basics, right? Are they ovulatory? Do they have open fallopian tubes? What's their ovarian reserve? Um, and, uh, and you may or may not be aware that in the uh, LGBTQ community, for lots of different reasons, there tends to be maybe a little bit more, um, you know, use of tobacco, alcohol, marijuana, maybe some more mental health issues because of everything that, that those folks have gone up. So you want to address those lifestyle choices. So the most common scenario in our practice are um, cisgender women who come in and they want to be a parent and they need advice on how to get started and how to navigate the panoply of choices they have because they have you know, four ovaries, two uteri, and uh, two different sets of menstrual cycles, right? So lesbian women or queer women who come to the practice as a couple do not think they have any infertility problems, but they may underneath have infertility problems. So, you know, when you see a, a, a lesbian couple, you need to make sure that not only you appreciate all the choices they, that they have, but also complete a, a standard fertility evaluation to help guide you on maybe whose eggs you should use or whose uterus you should use and what's the best pathway for them. Um, I think that uh, many practitioners think it's pretty straightforward. Oh, well, we have double, double the option, but it's often a lot more complicated than that. And you also have uh, people's individual desires to maybe not be pregnant or just to be the genetic parent. Uh, so I think that, um, that caring for your LGBTQ plus people 
um, requires an, a, an appreciation by the practitioner that it's not simply, oh, they just need a donor. It's actually a lot more that's involved. And, uh, and, and really taking the time to drill down on that, uh, a, an initial consultation with a, a, a same-sex female couple often takes longer because you have to collect two histories and you have to peel that onion on how they want to build their family. Yeah. So, so thank you for that. You know, let's assume that you have a couple, um, a cis, a gender female couple in your office um, who's really interested in, in getting pregnant soon, and they decide that they want to use donor sperm and that one of the, and, and, and therapeutic donor insemination or donor insemination. Um, what would be the next practical steps for them getting started? So in our practice, we follow the guidelines from the mental health professional group through the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. So, you know, I guide them to um, some reputable um, sperm donor banks, um, which includes, and in 2020, hopefully full mental health screening, as well as screening for um, recessive genes that cause disease. And then we ask, ask, then we have them book a separate appointment with one of our social workers. And I know there's uh, um, some different opinions on this, but let me ask you, Dan, how has anyone ever been prepared to make the decision of who's going to be the genetic component for your future child? Nobody's ever faced that decision tree. So, so everybody needs some education, not on, not, not just what he looks like, not just the medicine uh, as far as, you know, mental health and social work, but what about future contact? How are you going to speak to your child? How do you and your partner differ in, in what you think is important? Um, and uh, so, uh, so that 45 minute to an hour individual consultation with a mental health professional is meant to be supportive. We're not screening these women on can they be a parent. We are educating them on the complexities of picking a donor, which is a lifelong decision for your child, that you're going to look into the eyes of your child someday when they're 12 and explain to them why they made that decision. Yeah. So I think in the first step is to guide them to sperm banks and then have them talk to a mental health professional, obviously complete your workup, and then decide their pathway, which is which there's basically, you know, uh, many options. Finding a trustworthy source for fertility information can be overwhelming. ReproductiveFacts.org, a patient website developed by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, has the medical information you need for your family building journey. At ReproductiveFacts.org, you'll find up-to-date videos, fact sheets, and answers to frequently asked questions, all developed by medical experts based on scientific evidence without commercial bias. For your fertility questions, Turn to a source you can trust, reproductivefacts.org. So let's, let's assume, because I want to get this out for the audience, because there, well, I know we have a lot of patients in this book. Let's assume the evaluation is normal. They have healthy perspectives on proceeding. 
They've chosen a donor at the advice of the counselor, help taking into consideration both of their perspectives on what's important in donor selection. And they want to proceed with donor insemination. Let's, let's, if, you, if you don't mind, could, you, could we walk through some of the, you know, the practical steps involved? Sure. I mean, the, the, uh, the mom-to-be who's going to carry the pregnancy needs an evaluation of her uterine cavity and, and to make sure her fallopian tubes are open. And, and then um, if she has regular cycles, you know, she is ovulatory. And then the discussion needs to be had. And this also sometimes involves finances about if they have good ovarian reserve, ovulatory cycles, um, do they want to try to conceive basically naturally without the help of any fertility medicines, but with the assistance of delivering sperm um, high up into the female reproductive tract into the uterine cavity. Um, or maybe there's diminished ovarian reserve. Maybe there's a, um, a limited um, uh, insurance benefit with they, which they have coverage for. And do they want to take advantage of underlying the word gentle um, superovulation to bring up maybe two or three follicles in a particular month to hopefully shorten their interval to pregnancy. Because if you're a female couple and you need to pay out of pocket for donor sperm, an insemination, plus maybe one monitoring appointment, that can add up pretty fast. Um, I want to take a sidebar for a minute as well. It's something that's very relevant and important, especially considering all that's in the news lately. Um, we as LGBTQ parents have to fiercely protect our parental rights. And I think a lot of uh, um, cisgender female couples um, are not maybe fully advised on the need for a reproductive attorney proactively to make sure the non-genetic mom has full parental rights. So I encourage all my moms-to-be to, at the start of the process, you know, work with a reproductive attorney to make sure their intent is captured in a contract. So when that child's born, you know, that both moms are on the, on the birth certificate. Um, or if there, if there is something um, that needs to be addressed later in regards to the, in regards to, you know, five, six, seven years later in regards to a relationship, that it's very clear that both moms intended to parent um, because you never want a child stuck in the middle. And uh, um, historically, you know, genetics has been king, right? Or queen. Historically, genetics has been queen, meaning defining the linkage to the child. But in the case of a same-sex female couple, if they both wanted to be parents and they were both counseled together, um, they decided who was going to, um, who was going to be genetically linked to the child. Um, but we want to make sure the non-bio mom has full rights. So having access and education for her reproductive attorney, which does add cost to them, is essential in protecting their parental rights in the present and in the future. So yeah. I think that was an important sidebar. Sorry about that. No, I think that's really important advice. And, you know, for the patients listening, I want to, you know, perhaps emphasize that, you know, centers, sophisticated centers like yours, with counselors and with, you know, educated physicians, often will make it e relatively easy for patients to find their pathway uh, to parenthood, even though there are a lot of inputs 
and, and testing of going um, to get there. But you know, our job to facilitate this for our patients and make it easier for them is really important. You know, getting so so in summary, you've indicated that that some of our patients will go through natural cycles or slightly stimulated cycles, and then we use some timing to help them identify the day of ovulation with blood testing or urine testing, and then do a minor, very minor procedure in the office. It takes typically five minutes to do an insemination, placing the sperm high in the reproductive tract. And hopefully, patients will get pregnant um, relatively quickly. You know, if a, if a cisgender um, female couple, a lesbian couple, you know, says, you know, maybe I would like to use my eggs but my partner would like to carry the pregnancy. Can you highlight for us how that works? Absolutely. Um, so uh, the, that is called different things. It's called a shared IVF cycle or a, a reciprocal IVF cycle, um, meaning that the, the one of the moms-to-be is going to go through a standard in vitro fertilization protocol, which means she is going to be her ovaries are going to be evaluated for the, the, the quality of the response to medication. Um, she's going to be trained to give herself injections, or perhaps her partner's going to give herself injections of human hormones to make the ovary that typically releases one egg per month, hopefully release more than 10 eggs in a particular month. Um, it's a period of about 7 to 12 days of not only injections, but visits to their reproductive endocrine, visits to the, the office you know, perhaps every two to three days and culminating with even every one day. And then there's a uh, procedure called an, an egg retrieval where um, that mom-to-be gets uh, um, some form of anesthesia and we go into the ovary um, uh, and retrieve eggs. Um, those eggs go into the IVF laboratory, are combined with the sperm that they have previously chosen and you know embryos are allowed to grow and then it will it will be up to how they want it to proceed perhaps um, their partner has on a parallel track been prepared for embryo transfer um, or perhaps they've chosen to cryopreserve the embryos and come back for embryo transfer at a future time um, the the non egg donor i'm sorry the non-genetic mom to be um, is going to carry the pregnancy so it's essential that her uterine cavity be assessed for polyps or fibroids or any structural abnormalities and then you know in preparation for transfer she would go on um, estrogen preparation or perhaps use her natural cycle and then um, an embryo would be warmed and transferred into her uterine cavity which is very similar to an intrauterine insemination that we discussed before, just a little bit higher stakes because you're dealing with a, you know, a single embryo and you wanna place that embryo in there very delicately so it has the best chance for sustained implantation. Thank you very much. All right.
Thank you for listening to SART Fertility Experts, your resource for information on IVF. If you found this podcast useful, please like us on your favorite social media platform and tell your friends about us. For more family building resources, visit www.sart.org slash patient information or www.reproductivefacts.org.